So how you been? Well, busy, busy, busy. This weightlifting yeah. is just amazing. Yes. And what are the things you've been up to? You've been doing some coaching courses. <clears throat> Right. I've done several coaching courses so far this year. I think I've done about six. And uh, plus, we've got, you know, a couple competitions a month. And just this last weekend, we had our national championships and uh, Olympic trials in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit about that and the preparations for Rio. Okay. Uh, I, I also want to talk to you about Tommy Kono. Good. Um, and I saw on Facebook uh, you were talking about that Piros Demos came to the U.S. Nationals. Yes, he did. Uh, he did you? Uh-huh. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, what, did you get a chance to talk with him? What was that experience like? Uh, just, just briefly, uh, I got to ask him, you know, how much he squatted because we had a little, we had a little question and answer session. And I got to ask him how much he squatted, and then during another time. When the 85 kilo class was lifting and there were so many misses, I got to ask him, well, what do you do when you have you know, delays like this, the long delays between first and second attempts? Or, you know, because if you're like planning to go out, as I say, there's three attempts and you take your final warm up and now you're ready to go out and, on the platform and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of misses and you don't get to warm up properly. And he and he's basically said, uh, if you have time, you go down and warm up again. Or if you don't, you just you know, have to take a fairly heavy weight. You can't just sit around. Yeah, I was watching uh, the European Championships on Eurosport, and that was an issue they were talking about as well. Uh, you don't want to wear yourself out, but you can't right. sit idle. Right, and so therefore, you have to be in pretty good condi- you know, conditions. A person has to train themselves accordingly. We do it like you know, wave training. you got to go up and hit a real heavy weight and then come back down and work your way back up in a, in a, in a wave like and do that several times. So if that situation happens in a competition, you, you're prepared. And is it important to just do pulls? No, full lifts. He said full lifts. Full lifts, okay. And let's talk about Tommy Kono, sadly the passing of the legend. Right. Well, he was was 85 years old, and and I saw him last August of 2015, and he seemed uh, frail but healthy and seemed pretty good. So he was 84 then, so, you know, I guess he had 84 pretty good years, and that's that's a you know pretty good for people you know yeah definitely definitely um i don't want to go into so much about his career and things like that because it's so well documented right. uh if anyone's interested they could go to his website as well as you know everybody goes to wikipedia for right. information but right. i mean set 26 world records yes seven olympic records eight pan am yeah not only that, he coached uh, the West German team, yes? He coached the West German team, uh, the Mexican team, and the U.S. team. Yeah, and so plus, he had a he, lot of experience. And plus he coached the first U.S. women's world teams. And uh, you know, he officiated in, at many Olympics. I mean, he did everything you can do in the sport of weightlifting. He, he uh, Olympic gold medals, coached uh, lifters to Olympic medals, uh, officiated, coached women to uh, world championships. I mean, just he really did it all. Yeah, and of course, a Hall of Famer, not only for the U.S. but for the IWF and, and the and the uh, International Olympic Committee. Yes. Yeah. So I, I mean, he is a legend, and and the probably well, he is the yes. greatest American weightlifter. And then you have the the side of the story. You know, he was an internment camp. Yes. Um, he grew up in, he's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he grew up in California. Right. Sacramento, California, which is about 
you know, 90 miles uh, uh, east of uh, San Francisco. And was he born in Hawaii or he's of Hawaiian no, no, descent? No, he was born in, in, in uh, Sacramento. And okay. he moved to Hawaii uh, later in his uh, weightlifting career. He'd been working in Sacramento. He'd been in the military. And, and I'm not sure exactly when he settled in Hawaii, but, uh, you know, probably maybe. Well, I think he settled in Hawaii after he came back from his coaching the German team. So he coached the German team from 68 to 72. And then I think that's when he moved to Hawaii. <coughs> yeah, he, he's definitely got a Hollywood movie in there somewhere. Someone should be thinking on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, you know, he was such a nice, humble man that, you know, some you know, Hollywood movies usually like some controversy or something like that. And there's nothing controversial about him. He was just like all American. You know, he was just did everything right as far as I know. Well, I'm sure they'll find some angle on it, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, tell me about your experiences of him. You said he is a humble guy. Yes. Really good guy. Tell me about, uh, do you remember when you first met him? Uh, sometime in the 70s. I'm not sure if it was 71 or, let's see, or early, early 70s, he did a seminar at the national championships. And so, you know, sorry, I'm trying to think, 1971 or 73, we were in New York, Pennsylvania. Anyway, way back in those days, and, and he did this seminar. Of course, I had been reading his articles in Strength and Health magazine. He wrote these articles, the ABCs of weightlifting. And so I've read those and followed, you know, the training advice that he uh, was giving in, a, in my own training and then in my coaching as well. So I, if I were to say which one person had the most influence on my weightlifting career, it would be Tommy Kono. Uh, a good one to have. Yes, yes. Um, what did you think about... Uh him as a lifter what made him so great was it body type was it training regimen was it something in his technique it was all of that uh, he uh, he's a very like he's such a humble man he doesn't understand why other people couldn't do what he could do but he had a special special physical and mental talent and ability he uh, could perform the the bigger the crowd or the bigger the event the better he performed and he just had this performance attitude where you know some people they get really nervous when there's a lot of people watching well you know, the bigger the stakes, the the better he performed. He always arose to the occasion. That's a special, unique ability. I've I've seen people who have <clears throat> great physical ability, great in the training hall. They get on that competition platform and they just can't perform. They feel their nerves take take hold. And and some people can perform at the national level, but not the international level. But Tommy could perform at all levels. But the higher the level, the higher he, the better he performed. Yeah, and speaking of his performance, I mean, he also transcended because he went from being a weightlifter. He also did uh, bodybuilding. Oh yes, well, in those days, uh, people it was you know now it's called CrossFit, but we called it it was called physical culture. So you, besides being strong, you wanted to have muscles too. So it was part of the training program to do some bodybuilding along with the weightlifting because the weightlifting training methodology in those days included a lot of bodybuilding. Uh, to you know, build up your muscles and so forth. And so, you know, as you, as you, if you look at some of the weightlifters out there today, they got fantastic bodies. They could win physique contests too, like the the Chinese lifter Lu. Uh, he's got what an incredible physique he has, for example. And uh, so it's uh, you know, it didn't take much bodybuilding for him to look like a bodybuilder because a lot of those guys they did a lot of bodybuilding along with their normal training in those days. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, the, when you're making those. Big big lifts, yeah. and you're just developing your body in such a way. Yeah, and you know, you look at today, like like uh, Dmitry Klokov, he he uh, he did, his, I understood, did a lot of bodybuilding 
met the work a lot of bodybuilding exercises in his training, along with his Olympic lifting training. And look at his body, you see. So Dmitry Klokov could probably win some physique contests if he wanted to. And when you mentioned about him being a coach, um, how did his, you know, can you speak about how did his ability to perform, like you said, you know, he didn't seem to get nervous. He didn't seem to get tight at those big performances. Was he able to relay that to his lifters? Do you have any idea? He, well, yes, he was, but not all the lifters could, could handle it. I mean, there, I mean, some lifters are just, <coughs> uh, you know, I mean, you know, as, as you know, you, you can teach your lifter technique or try to teach them, but if they don't have the body that can do it, that's not going to happen. And it's the same with the mental thing. If they don't have the mental capa- capacity, uh, he's not going to help them. But lifters that I know personally, like Dan Cantori and, and Bruce Wilhelm, who worked a lot with Tommy Kono. He did a lot, a lot to inspire and motivate and, and enhance their uh, lifting ability. And he was mostly uh, what would be in those days like a middleweight lifter, yes? Well, he, he, he won the Olympics as a 148-pounder. Uh, that's a lightweight. Then he won uh, as a light heavyweight. Then he got the silver, I think, as a middleweight. So, you know, three different weight classes he got medals. But I think it's that... I think he won champion world championships in four different weight classes, at least three, but I, I think maybe four. Uh, he was yeah, he was able to, uh, you know, through diet and <clears throat> exercise, he was able to control his body weight. And, you know, he went to go up to, I don't know if he ever got it all the way to 200 pounds, but he got up to at least 190 pounds, you know, about 85 uh, kilos or so. And he was starting, okay. and he started off as a 67 and a half kilo class. And so, you know, through exercise, through lifting and eating, he was able to control his body weight. Yeah, and you, I mean, you do see weightlifters in the the modern times. Uh, they they can change, but I don't think they go more than a class or two. I'm trying to think. Let's see. Some people like like I know Yuri Bardania has done several weight classes, as has uh, David Rigert, and I think actually both those guys have won championships in three weight classes. And I think Tommy Kono did it in four. That's what makes him even more unique. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Sixty-seven and a half, seventy-five, eighty-two and a half, and ninety kilo. He won uh, championships. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, again, the nomenclature is a bit different, but lightweight, yeah. middleweight, light heavyweight, and then again, middleweight, but the, the, they change. Yeah, right. We, yeah. You know, we used to have them by names, you're right, and now it's just by, by kilo, yeah. Yeah, I guess it was fun, the boxing progression back then. Well, like that well I get, you know, I mean, we all, you know, weightlifting and boxing probably got, did, I mean, all the sports, even the wrestling, everything, whether you were a lightweight or a heavyweight, and, and, uh, the weightlifting, you know, this is how it was done in all, all weight class sports. They, they had names for the weight classes, yes. Can you think of any particular anecdotes uh, you have about him? Um, hmm. Whether they be a, from training or uh, maybe humorous things or. Well, I don't know. Just, you know, just, I was so, uh, you know, whenever he came to California for the, we used to have the Tommy Kuhn Open in Sacramento. Uh, and he would come to it, and then the next day we'd have a, a seminar. And the thing that surprised people was when he was referring to himself, he'd call himself an Oriental. And Really? Yeah, because he would, in his time, or that wasn't a derogatory term. And I don't even know if it is a derogatory term. But I can't say either, but it's just a different term. Right, it's, it's, so people were kind of shocked. He's calling himself an Oriental. You know, it was supposed to be the politically correct as Asian, you know. But in his yeah. era, he would talk about, yes, and for Oriental, it was very difficult to do this. And for an Oriental, you know, so he used the word Oriental quite a bit. And then he even addressed, he said, well, that's what we were referred to. And we didn't think it was derogatory. We're, we're, we're from the Orient. We're Orientals. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that was one thing that was kind of funny. Again, but uh, uh, he was uh, when he do these seminars, uh, <clears throat> you know, he would tell interesting stories about his way living career, and I'd have to kind of let everybody in the audience know if he's talking about Chuck Vincey, who Chuck Vincey was, or who some of these other characters he'd be talking about, because the kids today, the lifters today, they don't know who Chuck Vincey was, or Pete George, or uh, Larry Barnholz, or some of these people that were, you know, main players back in the, the 50s and 60s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was uh, looking at his obituaries and reading about him, I mean, the, so many names came up from the past. Yeah. And it caused me to do some research and some history, and it is quite interesting. Yes, yes. Uh, even when he was in the intern camp, um, he was there, and he fell into weightlifting just by chance. Uh, apparently, he wasn't. He had asthma. Right. And actually, being in the internment camp because of the desert air had sort of given him a bit more energy. Right, it revived And him, right. through some friends, and there was a famous uh, Asian actor who used to work out with him, who was on Broadway as well. I can't think of his name now, but I was reading about it in the last few weeks. It was very interesting that, you know, after the World War II, you know, and then that's when he got involved, but there, in the 1948 Olympic team, there were, I think, three Asians, you know, on the Olympic team. And here we've just been at war with these people and they've been in internment camps. And uh, three, you know, uh, three years after the war is over, they're on the, you know, the Olympic weightlifting team, you know, there's... Richard Tom and Tomito and uh, Harold Sakata. I'm not sure if I'm leaving anybody out, but there was at least three on the Olympic team. And so one of the, that's one of the great things about weightlifting is that ethnicity, uh, color or race or politics doesn't determine, who, you know, who you are. It's how much you can lift. Yeah, I, as I get older, I, I value that so much yeah. about sport. Yeah. I mean, we do see from time to time, uh, I think it was – was it the 68 Olympics where the black fist was raised? Yes. Yeah, so, well, there's, there's still, in, in lots of sports, there's, there's that, uh, you know, racial and political and ethnic uh, issues. But I, I really don't see it in weightlifting. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, of course. But, uh, you know, it seems like if you can lift the weight, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, there's a part of me that looks at that and says, hey, a political statement is something powerful if it brings change. Yeah. But I really want sport, the leveler, to be the sport, like you said. Yeah, and if, well, it doesn't matter right, where yeah, you come from. Right, or, right, exactly. And that's why, you know, I'm always amazed when, you know, as the world becomes more and more open, that, you know, somewhere some of the lifters come from, you know, they come from the far corners of the world or from the South Pacific or, the, you know, out back of China or someplace like that, they find these kids that are really, really strong and they're, they're champions. And so that ability is out there probably in, in lots of other things as well. But people need to be given the opportunity. I'm reminded of the Kazakh girl in the 53 kilo class when she came out of nowhere and won the world championships. I think it was in uh, 19, 2009, maybe. Uh, anyway, she just came from nowhere, and 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 here was this talent that, that somehow got discovered, you know. And, but that goes on in weightlifting throughout the world, and in other sports, too, I'm sure. But uh, weightlifting is a sport that thrives in in the poor countries or the poor parts of countries because uh, it's an inexpensive sport to to operate. You need barbells and squat racks and and a room, and away you go. You don't need a swimming pool or uh, fancy fields that have to be kept up, like in soccer, or you don't need. Uh, a lot of equipment, you know, it's very, very inexpensive uh, sport to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was, I was thinking about that. Uh, like when you look at how Bulgaria came into prominence, I right. mean, 
I remember you used to have their training hall tape on, and yeah. it, it just was four walls, right? And there was some really old benches, and then it was just some weight sets, yeah. And that's all you need. And do you think adversity is key for an athlete? If a, if an athlete has adversity at a young age, that that gives them an edge. Well, you know, I don't know if it's adversity, but I'd say it's hunger. If uh, they come from, uh, you know, a less than desirable environment, they come from a poor environment, that they see a way out, that, you know, it's not for some it's boxing, for others it's weightlifting, for others it's, you know, many, many different ways of out of their, you know, to raise their status and to, and to be financially uh, better off. I once asked Alexander, I once was talking to Alexander Kurlovich, a two-time Olympic champion from Belarus, I mean, he's, you know, he's got this fantastic athlete when in his prime. But I said, boy, if you'd been in America, you'd been a very rich, uh, wealthy football player. And he goes, I'm a very rich, wealthy weightlifter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah it's this, the strive to succeed combined with the strive to survive, right, I guess. Right, right, I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to quote that on a T-shirt, I think. Yeah. <laughs> came up with that yeah yeah now speaking of that um we're coming up to rio yes um the united states just went through their nationals and olympic trial i guess it's doubled yeah i'm sorry it doubled as the trial yeah team trials and we had three women qualify right uh jenny arthur morgan king and sarah robles right and on the men's side we've got one slot that but we're waiting on the pan-american games right so this was also the selection uh, competition for the Pan American Game Championships uh, that'll be in Colombia in, in uh, early June, and so I'm thinking that the let the lifter that goes down there and scores the most points will probably be the one that is selected, uh, uh, but I don't know uh, for sure. I have to, you know, it's kind of our, our selection criteria kind of is not totally clear. But anyway, uh, also, you know, we're still waiting for the. Uh, you know, the drug results from the 2015 World Championships, there were 50, there were 24 drug positives. So as soon as those results have been finalized and, you know, they go through the appeal process and all of that, then that should adjoint, that should adjust the uh, point distribution because those lifters who were positive, their points will be taken away. So we're hoping that the U.S. will get uh, maybe a few more slots with the adjustments of dropping out of uh, the Soviet Union's a super heavyweight, and the Kazakhs had some lifters, and the North Koreans had some lifters that were tested positive, and so we're hoping that that'll adjust our team status so that we, our team points, so we might, uh, you know, get some more slots. But uh, it's taken yeah. a long time for that to happen. I mean, it's been six months uh, now, and we that should be finalized now, so the teams can be, you know, making their Olympic team selections. But it's, uh, you know, the legal system and the political system has kind of drawn it out. Yeah, because we're under 90 days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a few weeks ago. Yeah. and But just to clarify, so that's going to affect the men's place. Well, that, that, that can. I'm not saying because it, what happened in 2008, the, there were some drug positives, and so that adjusted the weight. So the U.S. had three slots. Then after the drug positives got uh, came in and the, and the points were adjusted, Another country moved ahead of us, knocking us down to two slots, and so that's where we had a big problem. You know, Casey Bergener was our third man, and it was just very controversial. He wasn't on the team, but you know, we had three, and then we got one taken away because we were here. We're clean, uh, clean country, and we lose a slot because the dirty countries that got popped, they screwed up the the point scoring system, so the USA got bumped down to two slots, and it was just you know just totally unfair. And yeah. uh, and then in 2012, uh, there was a uh, 
a woman from the uh, Ukraine, I think, that was positive, and so that adjusted the point standing. So therefore, it made it possible for Holly Mangold to make the team instead of uh, Amanda Sandoval. So it's uh, the, the you know these uh, adjusting the points after the drug, drug testing results come in can be very very it can go you know for you or against you. And I'm 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 coming hoping that it'll go for us this year, and we'll get you know, maybe two or three lifters for the men. I'm, I'm we're all hoping that, uh, but it's uh, like I say it's. There's the legal issues and the political issues that have drawn this out. That, to me, it should have been done a long time ago. Yeah, I, I think it is strange as well because you're preparing for it. Yeah, and yeah. of course, you know, you could say, "Well, my mindset is I'm a competitor and I can go," but you want to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's getting closer and closer. And we had a fantastic uh, trials, and I, I haven't checked. I was going to check the website a little earlier to see how the uh, our uh, rankings have been. Uh, adjusted based on the results of our trials because we had uh, uh, <clears throat> Kendrick Ferris had a fantastic base and an American record totally needed it in order to win and Norik Vardanian said an American record snatch and he was having a great day uh, I think he took the wrong weight on his clean and jerk if he'd taken a little less weight that would have made, made Kendrick Ferris had to take a lot more but uh, he opened the door for Kendrick Ferris anyway uh, <clears throat> it's uh, and then we had Kane Wilkes has a very, you know, is a, is a good contender, and uh, Alex Lee, and uh, I don't know if our, I don't know if our 105s are uh, in contention, but people that set American records were Alex Lee and Norik Bardanian and and uh, Kendrick Ferris, and then uh, Kane Wilkes total 404, I think it was, and that's you know that that super heavyweight total is, should put him on on the team if we get say three slots, but uh, we have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, there there's going to be eight lifters, I think, that are going to compete in Pan Am. Right, right. Um, yeah, Kendrick Ferris, uh, Donovan Ford as well. You mentioned some of the others, yep. Travis Cooper, as well. But uh, uh, Donovan Ford does. If he has, if he can have a good day, if he can maybe do a, a one seventy and a two ten or something like that, which he's certainly capable of, that could put him on the on the team. But we got to wait. You know, I mean, just it's a. Uh, you know, we won't know until June. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're waiting and waiting. Yeah, and, and this is such a far cry from the old days when when I was, uh, you know, coach and so forth. Our Olympic, our, our we had the Olympic trials, and that was it. You know, you showed up if you didn't, if you could be the best in the country, if you have a bad Olympic trials, bye bye, you're you're gone. And so we always had those. Mm -hmm. We always had those cases where someone who we thought would for sure make the team wouldn't do so well and someone who would come out of the blue and would make the team there was always these surprise guys that didn't make it and surprises that did make it and so it was uh <clears throat> it was very very exciting but also in those days we had 10 we were able to have 10 men on the olympic team yeah well yeah what a difference it is now huh? well the difference is because you know we've added women to the program which is uh which was fine but they didn't they only gave us 20 more uh you know, slots for our, we used to have 250, now we got 270, and also our sport has grown from approximately 100 countries to 200 countries that do weightlifting, and, you know, you got the North and South Korea that are really good, you got all the former Soviet republics that are very good, and then you have countries like Thailand and uh, some of the South Pacific Island countries that are really doing really well, and so it's just, our sport has had tremendous growth in, uh, over the past, uh, you know, 20 years, and yet we haven't we're not given more slots, and that—that's political. The International Olympic Committee, you know, I guess they frown on weightlifting because of the drug issue, you know. So maybe that's why they won't give us more slots. 
Yeah, maybe that's in the back of the minds. Yeah. But like we talked before about sports that are being included that maybe should be, you know, removed, like the modern pentathlon. Right, and, right. There, there, there's, you know, there, who, who does that? Yeah, who, who does modern pentathlon? And what else? That, that's that's one where they're not hungry. Those those are right. kids coming from very good families. Well, they're 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 military or or, uh, or right from, from from rich families, right? Yeah, that that's not something. Well, I in 1984 I was a competition director for weightlifting, so we had this big uh, office uh, space where we, we shared uh, I mean, just a big uh, uh, a little airplane, a huge air, air huge air, airline air for a huge air manufacturer hangar? hangar. Yeah, and they converted it to you know all these tape. You know, it was, it was converted very well. It looked nice, so so I shared an area with the modern pentathlon director. And yes, he, you know, it was all these rich people that were very, very, you know, it was, it was held in a very exclusive area of L.A. I can't think of the name of it right now, but, uh, you know, some exclusive area where the, all the people got, you know, thoroughbred horses and, you know, Bentleys yeah. and Rolls Royces and that type of crowd. And that was the modern pentathlon. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I win the lottery, I will take up the modern pentathlon. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the way. Not that there's anything wrong with being rich. Yeah. Believe me, I, I no. would like you know, well, no, be, a lot of money. It'd be nice to it'd be nice to be rich and powerful to see what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to. That makes me want to start talking about American politics right now because I'm away, and I I wonder what you think about that. But we'll we'll get into that maybe after the interview. Yeah. Uh, I'm referring to the Donald, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's uh, it's amazing that that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, are you know? I mean, I mean, who wants to be president? I mean, they, they, it's so such a you know, you get you, you get your life gets so exposed that who would want to do it? You know, and then you know, the whole world is uh, you know your fault. You know, all the problems in the world are yours. You know, so I don't know why anybody want to do it. It's true. It's it's like fame. Yeah. I mean, no. it's, you know, it's and I you know I teach English and there's a chapter on fame in one of the books and we always ask the question oh who wants to be famous and I'm amazed no one wants to raise their hand anymore <laughs> I don't want social media you know yeah, yeah. it's just the spotlight is so big well you think you know, that's why they, you know, in the United States these professional like we have our you know the Golden State Warriors are really doing good we got this guy Stephen Curry who's like you know out here he kind of walks on water you know he's an amazing individual so now he has to have bodyguards otherwise people will just swarm really him. yeah yeah he can't go anywhere yeah. he can't go anywhere without you know having some bodyguards because uh, people will just be all over him for autographs and pictures and things like that. I, I think we're getting close to having to place the bet because you know I'm Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers. And, and so we might have to well, bet on the finals. Uh, what, about, what about the Cleveland Browns? You like them too? <laughs> <laughs> I do. How about, I the do Cleveland, how about the Cleveland Indians? <laughs> I couldn't care less about the Indians. Yeah, no, but the, the Browns, I, I do care about. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, yeah, the, 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 well, I hope that the uh, Warriors and the uh, uh, Cavaliers have a showdown, and we beat you in four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's starting. Not yet. But, you know, my mother is a huge Cavs fan, which ah, I think yeah, is great. Yeah. So she actually keeps me up more than I follow it. Ah. Uh, when I was in high school or when I played basketball, I used to love to go watch it. Yeah. But now I, I kind of lost the interest. But anyway, yeah. uh, I, I know that you answer this question all the time the same way. Okay. That it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. We're getting close to the Olympics. 
I, I saw another article about the Zika virus. Oh, yeah. I saw something right. about the the water condition. The bacteria yeah, yeah. is so high. They even talked about this week delaying the Olympics. The IOC said no way. Oh, no, yeah. Well, I, I, I just know some people went down there for the uh, you know the pre-Olympic event of about a month or so ago. And they didn't hear anything negative when they came back. Okay, okay. Good. Yeah. Now, um so I'm, I'm certainly, I got my plane ticket, and as soon as I finish talking to you, I've got to uh, you know, answer, uh, uh, I got a letter, of uh, an email about uh, payment of my room and boards. I got to see how they want how they want it to be done, and whether, you know, how to figure, anyway, so that's, that's my next step. So I've got my plane ticket, I've got my accreditation clearance, and now I've got to just pay for my uh, my hotel and room and board. Uh, okay, Super. And you're accredited through Iron Mind? No, through IWF, the International Weightlifting Federation. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, okay. because I, you know, I used to be a president of the of USA Weightlifting. I was on the International Executive Board. You know, I've done all these things, and so I, I get, I call it kind of a knee pad VIP credential. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, when they when they're handing out <coughs> VIP credentials, I get on my knees and say, "Please, can I have one?" <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. So so far, and, I've always okay. been done. I've been treated very well. You know, so no no complaints. Will you be able to set up a camera, or are you just going to be there on the floor as oh, a journalist? No, no. Uh, I, I've, I've videotaped all the Olympics since uh, 1988. I know. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, it's it's always uh, sometimes I can get a, you know, I get a, no problem. Less than in London, I got hassled a little bit, and I had to shut it down for a while. But then I, you know, did it again. I, I you know, but I just couldn't use a tripod. They didn't want to. You know, I got. It's, I'm, I'm obviously not a professional when you look at my equipment. But they didn't want a tripod because that's too professional, you know. If I can handhold it, that would be okay. And so that's they let me handhold my video camera. So I was a little, sometimes a little shaky. <laughs> but I didn't. That, well, it's a lot of work. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so I I certainly hope to videotape it, and I intend to. And well, I'm tempted. Why not? Okay. And speaking of the Olympics, uh, of course, that's on your schedule, and that's a big date you got. Yeah. Uh, what else is coming up? Well, <clears throat> let's see. I've got. Uh, Three coaching courses uh, before I go to uh, Rio. All right, so you got the coaching classes. Yeah. Um, how, how do you find that? I mean, it's not like coaching athletes; you're coaching coaches. Right. But I, is I, the I, mentality I, the same? Well, I, I find it very, very enjoyable because I got people that are really enthusiastic about learning about weightlifting, and you know, and I've been, I've been there, and I've done that, and so I've, you know, when they, I mean, they want to talk about certain things, I'll say, yes, I was there when that happened, I saw it, or I participated in that, you know, and so forth and so on, so, you know, uh, and for, I'm with, with the passing of Tommy Kono, uh, I'm one of the most foremost uh, experienced and successful coaches uh, in the U.S. now, because uh, Tommy Kono is certainly more experienced and successful than I, but uh, now... I'm probably the next one in line with having, you know, coached 10 Olympians and been president of the USA Weightlifting Federation and on the International Executive Board and director of the Olympics in 84 and all that stuff. You know, I'm pretty, yeah. you know, I've done it, I've done it all, except with big... You, you got yeah. the credentials, yeah. I got yeah. the credentials. So, so that's kind of fun. So I, uh, and, you know, and also I was, uh, you know, I hired Lynn Jones who wrote this coaching, the original coaching course, and that was a purpose for hiring Lynn Jones as to develop our coaching education program and so you know, that was another thing that I instituted in my time and of course I was involved with the uh, uh, inclusion of women's weightlifting and went through all those growing pains and episodes yeah. and uh, like that and so I've you know I've, I've and I would like to say when I started lifting weights we didn't have lifting shoes 
we had boots and we lifted with steel weights and it was um, we didn't you know it was, it was a whole <laughs> so uh, so now like I say with, with the passing of time I'm one of the few guys that have been around uh, since the beginning of modern weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, you really have. Yeah, I mean, I, I stepped into it late in life, yeah, yeah. but I mean, I I love my history. Yeah, you know, I that's what I studied and. I study weightlifting history, and, and yeah, that's why I really enjoy being able to have these conversations yeah, yeah, with you. Yeah, and, I, and so that's why, that's why I enjoy doing these coaching courses. I have to be careful to stay on point because sometimes I can get off on a tangent, you know, about yeah. rules or certain lifters, and, uh, you know, I have to say, oops, get back up, get back on, on subject here. So I, so I, but I always try to mix in, uh, I always try to give some history and some anecdotes of uh, funny things along the way and, and so forth. I mean, what I like to tell the story about at the 1976 Olympics in uh, Montreal, somebody decided that the, in the training hall, those platforms should be varnished to make them look nicer. Well, you know, that makes them huh. slick. <laughs> so Yeah, that's a mistake. So that was a mistake. So they had to turn them all over <laughs> because they couldn't use them. You know, they had to turn all the platforms over and use the rough, the rough side, you know, and then it was fine. But, you know, funny things like that. Yeah. Did you watch the last European Championships? Because no, there didn't. was a similar a similar thing happened. They did something to the floor. They used something to clean it, and the lifters kept slipping on oh, the jerk. Wow, wow! And they kept saying they got to stop the competition. Yeah, but they they didn't. They got through it. But I huh. mean, it was like made yeah. it a little bit more nail biting to watch. Well, another funny thing at the LA Olympics, uh, they did the platform. The, the training hall was designed a certain way, but then they had. <clears throat> It was a temporary training hall, and they had the platforms going the wrong direction, so they had to turn them, and then that made the, the, the unstable, and so they had to resupport underneath. So every day, this guy would be going underneath the the, the warm-up room uh, floor and rebracing it. And uh, you know, one day that the all this, the police cars came out and the this dogs bomb sniffing dogs because they thought there was some you know terrorist <laughs> crawling around underneath there, but it was this. Guy who was, uh, uh, you know, in, in charge of keeping the training, the warm-up room platform together. He was underneath, uh, rebracing it every day. Ha, yeah. Have you ever seen a platform completely destroyed? Uh, not personally, but in, in a, they used to have this World Cup thing, and I think it was in Spain, sometime in the eighties, and a competition platform collapsed. They had to stop the competition and take Jesus. it apart and reassemble it on the floor. They couldn't. It was on a stage, and they had to take the stage apart and put it down on the floor. And another funny story is we had a, uh, a record makers event at the Playboy Club <clears throat> in uh, Atlantic City in <clears throat> really 1984, gotcha, 1985, sometime in the 80s again. And we we're on the seventh floor because they had this convention center on the seventh floor. And they thought, for, and they assured us that it would be no problem. Well, <laughs> they knocked, you know, the way definitely knocked lights out on every floor. Uh, <laughs> they, we warmed up in this little uh, area behind it and it cracked this, the concrete floor. I mean, just, just damn near destroyed uh. the building. They just couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's yeah. genius. So these are these are things that I've I've seen, and that's why when I go to some places and and I and they tell me they're going to do this, I go, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. That's not going to work. And they just don't because it's the vibration of the when you drop the yeah. thing. There's this incredible vibration that, that just starts making shaking things apart. Well, yeah, you, the only experience I had of that, you know, the old Battalion Hall in Brooklyn. Oh, Lost Battalion Hall, where Butch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, where Butch started out. Yeah. Um, I went there when I was in New York City. I wanted to lift there, but yeah. it just took me time after my classes I was studying. Uh -huh. So I went to Gold's Gym. I said, can I lift here? They said, no problem. 
I think we were on the first floor. So there was a floor beneath us. Mm-hmm. And there was this other guy. He was Irish. He was an Olympic weightlifter. And he was just lifting too much. Uh-huh. And I knew it was going to be a problem. I was lifting what I could put down on the floor yeah. easily. Yeah. He was going for some big clean and jerk. Lost it and knocked all the pictures, everything off the wall. And the windows shattered. <laughs> I thought it was one of the most... You know, and they were just like, <laughs> I thought I was going to go through the floor for a second. Well, we, just... we held a competition in a hall uh, on Valencia Street called, it was called, uh, I can't think of the name of it, the Dover Club. Anyway, Dover Hall. And there was a bar on, on one side of the hall. And so we're doing our weightlifting and we're knocking all the bar, all the bottles off the off the, the wall in the bar. They had to take all the bottles down, you know, because we're, the vibration was knocking the bottles off the, the back of the bar. Yeah, yeah. It's You don't realize it. Yeah. All right, Jim, I'm going to let you okay. get on to booking your hotel and yeah. whatever else you need to do. Yeah, well, it was good, good talking to you. 